Welcome to Hope from the Front Lines. Each week, we peek beyond the headlines, finding stories of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color doing the heavy lift, protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. Once I reached out to my um, employer and let them know that I tested positive, it, it kind of turned into like a, a blame game. Healthcare workers in homes face increased exposure risk to COVID-19, just like traditional frontline workers. So why are employers using loopholes in the law to avoid paying some essential workers sick leave? The Families First Coronavirus Response Act covers your pay if you are infected by COVID, but for home healthcare workers, this is only if you contract it from a client. But these workers' exposure risks extend far beyond their clients. If they're doing the job properly, they're exposed to their clients, other caregivers, their family members and friends, as well as nearly daily contact with the public at large as they handle their clients' daily affairs. In this episode, one home health care worker talks about how she was able to finally get paid after catching COVID-19 on the job. It was definitely um, a kind of a weird thing. I'm Bia Medius with Surviving COVID. Um, so I recently um, tested positive for COVID. That's Rachel Martin. Rachel isn't her real name. Her name and the names of the other people in the story have been changed for their protection. Rachel is currently a home health care worker in the Chicagoland area, and when she caught COVID-19, her employer did not immediately approve her sick pay. Initially, she was reprimanded for putting others on the job at risk, despite the fact that her agency had no protocol for testing. And they're like, oh, well, you came to work after being tested, and you know, oh, well, this happened, but we never had a set procedure for COVID testing um, that had been explained to us. I have severe allergies every year around this time, so I literally expected nothing out of it. But my doctor um, ended up telling me because it was a respiratory issue before that they could give me um, a prescription for my allergies. I had to go and get tested for COVID. When Rachel got her COVID positive result, it came with a standard letter telling her to notify anyone she had been in contact with. She immediately notified her agency because she had worked with a client a few days earlier. Remember, she was only experiencing her usual allergy symptoms. She didn't know she had COVID when she went to work. So even at the testing site, they didn't tell me not to go to work after being tested. My doctor didn't tell me not to go to work after being tested. My employer never stated that I had to contact them to let them know that I had been tested, especially if I wasn't showing symptoms like that. And while her employer initially chastised her for returning to work before she received her positive result, they denied her pay for an entirely different reason. Rachel's client had never tested positive for COVID-19. Her agency claimed that the Families First Coronavirus Response Act only required them to pay her sick leave if she contracted the virus from her client. As a member of SEIU Healthcare, a union local affiliated with the Service Employees International Union, a union of over 2 million members across the US and Canada, Rachel knew enough to reach out and ask questions. So she had called me on the phone. She was explaining to me that she had caught uh, COVID-19 
That's Bryant Thomas. He's a lead organizer with SEIU and the person who helped Rachel eventually secure her COVID pay. But first, let's take a minute to address Rachel's work conditions, where it is permissible, encouraged, and expected that employees displaying obvious allergy symptoms come to work. These healthcare workers do not get sick pay. Whether they work or not is typically decided by their client's level of comfort with their symptoms. She had caught uh, COVID-19 from another employee that worked in the home that she was working at and that they told her that she didn't qualify for pandemic pay. So I told her, you know, that I would uh, look into it and, and see what we can do. The issue is that her agency used a common narrow interpretation of work environment to mean a work environment inclusive of a COVID positive client. And Rachel believes she was exposed in her client's home from another caregiver who was showing symptoms. HIPAA laws prevent her from knowing for certain. I asked Bryant how he used his 30 plus years of expertise to help home health care workers like Rachel to get their COVID pay granted. I wouldn't say it was an easy process because uh, if you know anything about contracts and the way language is written, uh, you know, the way the language is written up, it don't cover that, you know what I'm saying? But that was like a gray area. This was actually the first case that Bryant ran across like this, because as he told me, most employees who catch COVID, quote, usually get it from their clients, end quote. And it's clear language that you, if you get it from your client that, you know, you get pandemic pay. So this was, this was the first time for something like that. Bryant engaged with the employer expecting a positive outcome as they have had a decent working relationship throughout the pandemic. And I sent him an email, you know, explaining the situation to him, you know, letting him know that she was a victim of circumstances and that this is due to no fault of her own, that she caught this uh, deadly disease in a working environment and that she should be uh, compensated for it. Rachel's employer ended up agreeing and she received her COVID pay. She was kind of, uh, you know, like, you know, just thanking me for, you know, even taking up the time to do it, you know, and I explained to her, you know, this is my job, this is what I do. And so we had a, you know, like a pretty long conversation after that, you know, we wasn't even talking about like the work, you know, she was uh, letting me know that she'd go to college. Rachel's currently in school getting a degree in communications so that she can work in the human resources department of a healthcare organization. She believes her experience in the field will make her a much better candidate. I feel like um, one of the, the most important things about working kind of in the upper ladder of a business is to know what it's like to work in the ground because then you can relate to the people that you have to communicate with and the people that come to you, especially in human resources. I think that she got the potential to be a leader, you know. So you can take as many precautions as you want. It doesn't mean that everybody else around you is. So it's been really hard. That's Mary Richards, another home health care worker from the region. Like Rachel, she's concerned about how agencies interpret the Family's First Coronavirus Response Act, with such a large percentage of a caretaker's duties involving interactions with people in places beyond their clients to only cover them if they contract COVID from their patients is unjust. So I can sit there and scrub my client's hands and, and sanitize everything, but what happens when I leave her at home and the next person comes in to watch her or the mom goes out and does whatever she has to do and doesn't follow protocol. 
Like most home care workers, Mary hates to let her clients down. And to think that we have to get swabbed all the time if we get a cold or if we get like a, you know, a chest cold or something, we don't know whether it is or not, you know, and so then you, you start to panic. And then like, like I said, you, you report it to, you call your, your clients or you let them know, hey, I'm not feeling good. And they'd rather just, some of them would rather you come in. It's when a home health care worker is simply too sick to report to work that the trouble starts. Calling in sick can actually cost them their job. We can't call off just because we have a cold. It's not something we would have to have a doctor's note. And I'm not going to the doctor for a cold. You know what I'm saying? What she's saying is that home health care workers do not receive sick pay in most cases. A doctor's note keeps them from being fired. It does not get them sick pay, even during a global pandemic. The lack of sick pay is not only an injustice to workers, it also creates a dangerous dynamic for their clients. If that essential worker needs the money that they would earn for that eight-hour shift in order to survive during a pandemic and her client asks her to come in anyway, then that essential worker shows up. Sometimes a little sick, sometimes it's a cold, sometimes it's allergies, and sometimes it's COVID. Majority of the things I do is take them out and kind of show them like, just kind of like be like a big sister and kind of hang out with them. But some of them, I kind of, I take a bath, I wash them up, I feed them, I change them. Um, I take to the bathroom, you know, just kind of like, like I'm their mom, you know. She's in various homes with multiple people and staff throughout most of them. Both women have multiple clients, which is typical. And like most home health care workers, they are expected to take their clients outside of the home as part of their normal job duties. This can account for many hours over the course of a week. They grocery shop for their clients. They pick up prescriptions. They pick up mail. They do whatever it takes to help their clients. The number of very public exposures required of home health care workers puts them at additional risk these essential workers need pandemic pay. They need some increase in pay to go to work every day and risk their lives. And on top of that, you need to provide some sort of quarantine or sick pay that protects them should they acquire the virus. That's Beth Mins. She is a fierce advocate of the men and women risking their health every day. I am the vice president of the home care division at SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and Kansas. And I oversee the work of representing 50,000 home care members in our union. Beth is another longtime organizer who's pivoted to home health at SEIU for the past 12 years. In a lot of cases, these home care workers have to take public transportation. They have to go to the grocery store for their own families and the home care client they're caring for. So the rates of exposure and the, the amount of times that home care workers are putting themselves in a position where they could potentially be exposed is very high. And so really met with resistance from employers refusing to, to create any protection. Beth believes employers have taken advantage of public fatigue around dealing with COVID. They've used it as a way to shirk responsibility when it comes to protecting their employees. We went through the summer where I think a lot of people started to have the attitude that COVID's gone. These things aren't necessary anymore. Uh, the national narrative changed, right, around COVID. And now we're seeing an uptick, certainly here in the Midwest, of really the second surge. 
And so for us, it puts some pressure on us to really go back to those employers and say, these are essential workers coming into people's homes, caring for seniors and people with disabilities. They deserve adequate pay, protected pay, and the ability to, if they contract the virus, not have fear of losing their job and being able to pay their bills. And that's the bottom line. These workers deserve full coverage as part of their regular compensation packages. During a global health pandemic, that security becomes critical. Home health care is the fastest growing job in, the con- in this country right now. There's no other job, not teachers, not nurses. Home health is the fastest growing job in this country. 90% of people you talk to don't want to go to a nursing home. They want to stay in their home. I know that if I'm able to, I want to stay in my home and age in my home and have someone come in and care for me. What that says to me, what that says to us is that this is a very, it's an important job. It's a critical job. This job should be paid that way. It should be represented that way. And we should be treating home health workers with the same respect that we would treat a firefighter or a nurse. And so this work is so critical to the aging population, as well as the um, children with disabilities, people with disabilities. And so I just think from from a political standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, from an employer standpoint, it is time that we value this work in this country. Until that happens, home health care workers like Rachel and Mary continue to do what needs to be done during a pandemic, just like they always have. So many people are actually, you know, passing away, dying from all of this. And I mean, it's getting so close to home that it's, it's just really nerve wracking. It's really scary, but at the same time, it's like we're supposed to do our jobs, you know? But I think that if people would maybe at least all stay home for, you know, at least two weeks, three weeks or whatever it is, you know, just everybody just stay home. Thank you for joining Hope from the Front Lines. Our series is produced by Juneteenth Productions with funding support from the McCormick Foundation. Join us next week for another story of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are available. Do you have a story to share? Join us in the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page, Hope from the Front Lines.